Hi everyone and welcome to Cooking Goals. You're listening to The Cooks and here we talk to motivated people who are actually doing something, how they got to where they are and their goals for the future. The aim of this podcast is to inspire people to create goals for themselves, to push towards and surpass them, whether it be small goals like running a four minute kilometre or big goals like owning a home. I want this space to be somewhere people can come for inspiration, to listen in on a great conversation, hopefully learn something and in the process create goals for the future. Hey everyone, just a quick update before we get into today's show. Uh, I recently competed in my first event of the year. I'm quite a competitive person uh, and I've never really jumped out on into the competitive scene in sport, but I completed the uh, 400 metre swim, ocean swim and 4km run on the beach uh, on the 27th of January uh, with a few of my buddies. Uh, so that was a great experience. Got 20th out of 56 overall and we actually raced with some, some uh, top athletes uh, from uh, the Gold Coast, which is great. And these guys are triathletes that I've actually worked in the lab with before. So uh, the weekly email is still going real strong, so I'll put that in the bio of today's episode that you can uh, subscribe to there. Uh, I've still got some prep stacked up, and I'm really looking forward to giving that away. It's a great product. I'm using it at the moment for my hydration needs. Uh, so I'll put a question at the end of the advertisement just after I speak. If you want to answer the question, you can DM me on Instagram or uh, email me the answer, and the first person to give me the answer will uh, receive uh, a two-pack uh, of prepped hydration. Uh, if you're a sports dietitian, uh, you've tuned into the right podcast. On Thursday this week, we have uh, Tara Diversity coming down from Cairns uh, doing her DAA presidential tour, and I've managed to uh, snag her for maybe an hour or so on Thursday evening for the first SDA Queensland uh, meeting. I'm the new coordinator for the, coordinator for the Queensland area, so uh, really looking forward to stepping into that role this year as well. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into it. Before we start today, please take a moment to listen to a word from our sponsors. Prept is a revolutionary hydration enhancer backed by over 20 years of research and testing. Prept is consumed pre and post exertion and is proven to boost the hydration of any electrolyte drink and water, helping you perform at your peak longer and recover sooner. Prept uses a unique resistant starch designed to enhance fluid absorption in the gut, which has an untapped potential to absorb up to 5 litres of fluid per day. Prept is used by current professional triathletes Tim Reed, Nicholas Dougal, and Stephen McKenna. You can shop at their website in the description of this episode for their pre-exercise prime and post-exercise recover hydration products in strawberry, kiwi, and mango passion fruit flavors. Ready, prepped, go. The first person to answer the following question will be able to win a prepped hydration pack. So the question is, how did Prept come up with their unique logo? You can find this on preppedhydration.com in the science section. Looking forward to hearing back from you. Today we talk to Monique Jeffcoat, who is an accredited practicing dietitian focusing her time on intuitive eating and is appropriately named the intuitive dietitian <laughs> in Tweed Heads. Monique, how are you? I am so good and super excited to be here talking about intuitive eating. Yeah, cool. Um, it's glad to have you on. Thanks for coming in. I haven't seen you in like a year or longer. I know. And so you caught up with Jazz this morning, which is good. I did catch up with Jasmine, the everyday dietitian, this morning. Yeah. Um, and it was awesome. As always. It's cool that you like kind of aligned to have a monthly meeting. I think that's really cool. Yeah. 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 yeah so, yeah, we've um, put it in place that we catch up every month and she's very um, much so aligned similarly with myself in intuitive eating. So it's really nice to just catch up. 
And she's pretty, like, on top of things in terms of the whole Instagram and business oh, yeah. and type of stuff. Just like, killing it. Yeah, very cool to learn from. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Super motivated and just driven by so much passion. Um, you, yeah. you, get, you, you can feel it across the phone. You're like, oh, yeah. you're like, oh Jesus. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yeah, hit me with that. It's like, infectious. I like to start each episode of the podcast talking about how we met or your earliest memory Ooh, okay. of me. Um, oh, man. Okay. My earliest memory of you. Or just how you, or what you can remember, because I've got mine up here. Oh, you had time to think about this <laughs> yeah. before. Yeah, I never, I don't, I don't share the questions. Well, I mean, we actually worked in quite a lot of group assignments throughout yeah. university. Yeah. We actually did. Um, we had the baby jam. We had baby jam. And then we had the peanut butter presentation. Oh, my God, we did. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um... Oh, I don't know. In terms of my earliest memory, I'm not really sure, but I just remember, I suppose my memory of you is that I actually did heaps of group work with you, and it was always just a lot of fun. Yeah, it was so and much fun. And we did really well. Yeah, we did. We, we did. worked well together. We hung out in the library and stuff, in yeah. between classes and stuff. It was a good time. But I think the way we met was through Chloe. Chloe oh, Mac- McLeod. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not Chloe McLeod. That's a dietitian. Chloe. Um, um, I know exactly who yeah. you are talking She's about. She's like a flight attendant now for like Arab Emirates. Oh, I didn't Crazy. know that. Um, but through chemistry and stuff, and we were yeah. in the same lab and things like that, and or tutorial. Um, I don't know. I actually don't know if you were in that one, mm. but the cultural. Oh, um, cultural lunch challenge. Yeah, you yeah. were in that the other group with Gershwin and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But Chloe was in that yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that's kind of like my first early. I love ba- that. Yeah, because you were show prepping, which is a lot different to something you do now. You know. Yes. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Very two. A long time ago. Two now. very different lines for sure. Yeah. Which we'll, which has also I think largely influenced where I've gone now. My we, yeah. personal experiences. And we'll go into that later today. Cool. Um. What we're going to do now is try to understand a little bit more about you and the listeners. So can you just want to tell us about yourself, Meek, and kind of where you're at now or what you're doing? Awesome. So I am Meek. I I suppose just hooking straight into dietetics or more just me. I think I'm just going to go with just me. Yeah. Um, I suppose uh, diving in deep instantly is I'm the kind of person that loves to have vulnerable, deep, awesome conversations with people. Um, I like to talk about the, um, I suppose, deeper things of the world than surface-level conversation. That's probably how my friends would also describe me. I'm also a massively emotional being (laughs) Um, and a massive empath. I um, love everything outdoors. I think that that really grounds me. Um, And... Things like meditation, specifically Vipassana meditation, are a big, a big part of my life and my soul, um, and also what grounds me a lot as well. Love my dog. I have a dog named Cooper, and he is just the best thing ever. I am convinced we have spent past lives together. Um, I have an amazing family, great friends, and I think I'm just a fun-loving kind of person. Um, as a dietitian, or I suppose in my profession, um, I am the intuitive dietitian. So yes, it is appropriately named. Which also have a backstory on that. Yeah. But um, go through it. Let's talk. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I made my Instagram name the intuitive dietitian around four or five years ago, 
when we were still at uni, probably when we just oh, wow. started. And so I made that Instagram, honestly didn't really do anything on it because also, full disclaimer, I'm not really great at social media, yeah. but I'm learning and I think I've come a long way. Um, and so I made it so, so long ago and it called it the Intuitive Dietitian. Really just, um, I don't know, I suppose off the cusp kind of thing. Um, and I've always sort of been into using your intuition and that sort of thing too. And when I left uni... Uh, about two-ish years ago now, I sort of fell into, or my passion drove me towards the evidence-based framework that is intuitive eating. Um, and it's kind of funny because I'm called the intuitive dietitian of something that I made five years ago before I actually fully knew that intuitive eating was an actual framework. Um, and now it's literally all I do. <laughs> so... It's kind of like this, I always like to think that there's a thread to our lives, and I think that something back there, Monique was obviously using her intuition, maybe at some level, but I made that name, and then all of a sudden that's actually literally what my whole entire private practice is centered around, yeah. intuitive eating. Um, so yeah, as a dietitian, that's the way that I practice at my clinic that I have in Tweetheads, which is very newly opened um, around September last year, so 2019. Um, and I predominantly work with intuitive eating. Yeah. Very cool billboard. Love it. <laughs> when you saw it, when I saw it, I was like, that's massive. That's so sick. Oh yeah. Like my, the, the photo inside. of you with it. Yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. And like the pineapples and stuff. I do really like that. Although I have to correct you, Nathan, it is lemons. Oh, lemons. Good. Yes. The two yellows. <laughs> I get confused. <laughs> now I haven't seen you in over a year. So what's correct. been in your, we had a little quick chat before we started today, but what's yeah. your being your journey through graduate dietetics yeah so it's been what 15 18 months for you probably yeah too. yeah roughly that mm. um longer probably yeah i think so um so i finished um midway through oh around 2018 yep yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. um and it was sometime later um, towards the beginning of the next year that I landed my first dietitian job in private practice. And I worked for a really awesome company. And I say this a lot. I hold my time there, which was around about, honestly, six-ish months. And I hold the time there in a really good place in my heart. It was awesome. I learned so much. Um, it was a predominantly exercise physiologist-based company. So I got to learn a lot from working within the allied health team. Was able to do... Um, a lot of GP meets and marketing myself with support. So it was the introduction of a dietitian to this private practice-based company. So they'd never had a dietitian before too. So I suppose I got lots of exposure in terms of all those sort of logistical-based things, building a client base, um, figuring out what kind of dietitian that I am and also the kind of dietitian that I'm not as well. And I was there for, yeah, around six months, and I think that, um, oh, so I mentioned this to you, Nath, as well before, Mm. but I have a really amazing business mentor who, who I always say when I refer to it, literally just, I swear, fell from the clouds to help me and to Mm. guide me, because I'm the kind of person that has so much passion inside me, and so much that I want to do, and so many ways that I just want to help people that sometimes someone just needs to plop me down and give me some structure, I suppose. Mm. And that's exactly what this mentor did for me. 
Um, and my, I made a website when I got this particular job with another private practice. I made a website and it was kind of like, it was me branded as the intuitive dietitian, yet I was working for another company. So kind of a little bit confusing, but mm. it was there. And this website in particular fell into the hands of this mentor and he just sort of said, oh, you know, Monique, we should just catch up for a coffee. And um, he had a lot of, I suppose, guidance around so many different things and yeah we caught up and it's now been nearly a year or over that since then and we've he's just become my business mentor really and really helped me to um yeah funnel my vision and my passion in a positive way and where I truly want to go and then just go full speed ahead at that basically so then then I started the um, I suppose journey of leaving that said private practice job and actually just starting off the intuitive dietitian on my own. So I that was a that was a big journey in that I always like this quote that you deal with matters of the mind before you deal with matters of business. And it's so true Mm. because there's been a lot of moments that have been really terrifying as well in terms of leaving something that's stable, going off and following, you know, your passion that uh, there was a lot of self-work, I think, there in the middle, which which was very personal and internal in terms of breaking down a lot of self-limiting beliefs um, and realizing that the thing that was just holding me back from living my authentic self was fear. So broke down all that. Yeah. <laughs> Still a work in progress also though, because the biggest learning I think is that it's always a work in progress. Mm. There's not this magical place that you reach and you've got everything together. It is literally just stumbling and picking yourself up and, and making your way through and learning so much more about yourself as well. So that all went on. And then um, basically I suppose all the logistics of it is found a space so found a home for the intuitive dietitian to rent, um, which I got, again, I think really, really lucky with the space that I have and the people that are around me um, that are there too. Um, and yeah, basically the rest is history, but there's so obviously so much more behind it. Like yeah. learning so much about how to be a dietitian in private practice on your own. Like mm. I swear I nearly had so many mental breakdowns over high caps and Tyrone machines. Like it's just a payment system, but it was yeah. such a nightmare. Oh, and just booking systems and zero and accounting and so many things that I literally had zero knowledge of yeah. this time last year. And I think that's where it's come in so valuable for me to have a mentor that knows what he's doing, how to guide me, when to push, when to step back mm. and really just be all in yeah. with what I want to do. So anyway, that opened in September or October-ish mm. last year. And so I've just been working there on the intuitive dietitian since. That's cool. Yeah. Are you enjoying it? Absolutely loving it mm. so much. And I think that the the main reason for that complete enjoyment is that I feel very aligned with the way that I want to practice, mm. basically. It's important to be able to understand, and I like really what you said there about the dietitian that you're not. Yeah. That's really cool to understand because there's a lot of things that when 
people come to you to talk about stuff and you go, well, that's really good that you can be aware of that, but I don't deal with that. This is someone you can go see for oh, that. totally. Or, or I'm not an expert in this area. This is what, kind of what I do. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's something as well, um, you know, when to refer on when, mm. when somebody's needs and... Uh, or whatever it might be, can actually be better met with somebody else too. Mm. Like that's, I think, something really important. And to be, have that, the knowledge to be able to do that, not to try to tackle something that's too big for yourself. Yeah, yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's awesome. That sounds like it's a, it's a, long, it's a long 20 months of doing all that public, you know, yeah. six months at some other place and then trying to, you know, yeah. make that transition period is very hard when you're moving between, not, yeah. not necessarily one employer to the next, but one employer to your own being your own self-employed, so Absolutely. congratulations on getting that. Thank it's you. It's really cool. I like it. Yeah, thank you, Nathan. Now, it's definitely a catchy term these days, intuitive eating, with it social is. media. It's kind of the, the new the new fad. Um, <laughs> but it's not a fad. I know, that's the thing. Like, people, this is, this is what people <laughs> yeah. need to realise, yeah. like, and they need to learn, and you're the person to learn off. I love so, that. Yeah. Talk me and listeners through intuitive eating. Oh, my God, and, okay. like, elaborate on it, what it is. Okay, cool. It makes me so excited. Yeah, good. I can see that. It's yeah. awesome. So, um, just picking up what you've just put down there, intuitive eating, yes, it seems to be this thing that is really becoming increasingly popular. And it's basically, it is a framework. Now, so lucky to be able to call it an evidence-based self-care framework. Basically, what that means is there's a lot of research behind it that has gotten to this point. But it was created by two women in 1995, so the year we were born. Were you born 1995? I'm a year later. Oh, Oh, baby. Well, 1995, so the year I was born, by two women called Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboulet. And they created this in 1995. Um, And so they are the original intuitive eating pros the experts and I'm really lucky that at the moment I'm completing my certified intuitive eating counselor course so come around April this year I'll be a certified intuitive eating counselor which I'm so excited about um but essentially all right if I was to explain intuitive eating in a sort of short way it's a dynamic interplay between instinct emotion and thought Basically, it's bringing it back to the direct experience of your body in terms of your hunger and fullness cues. So ghrelin and leptin, we have hormones that regulate our hunger and our fullness. Bringing it back to being in tune with those. Um, And there is so much more to it. And I think that what goes wrong with intuitive eating sometimes is possibly when not completely understood is a lot of people think it just ends there. And that, okay, it's eating when I'm hungry and stopping when I'm full, which isn't quite the case. Um, There's so much more to it in terms of that it's eating guilt-free and something that we call rejecting the diet mentality, which is this diet culture, which again, I think is a word that's really thrown around a lot without maybe everyone fully understanding what it means too. But it's that culture, essentially, there's so much that comes into it where we're almost at that point where we've become so obsessed with health and nutrition that we have become so worried about health and nutrition and what, you know, food's going to cure or kill us that, um, and I really like the way Evelyn Triboli words this sometimes in a lot of talks that she's done. So we're so worried about that that we haven't actually investigated what that actual worry does to us and to our health too, Mm. in terms of raising our cortisol or whatever other things that might be as well. Um, 
And so it's all of that. And there's 10 principles to intuitive eating. Um, and a large, a very significant one is making peace with food. So a lot of people that are out there and amidst diet culture, there's just sort of this almost societal belief that um, if we're not eating healthy or if we're not eating quote-unquote nutrient-dense foods, then we're doing something wrong or we're... There's so much guilt, so much guilt, Mm. so much guilt and a lot of shame around food and eating that um, it's really about just bringing it back to the basics and letting our internal cues guide us and having a deeper understanding of ourselves through something called interceptive awareness, which is basically filling into the sensations of our bodies. Um, and that can allow us to get our needs met, you know. Feeling into those physical sensations of our bodies might mean, uh, you know, am I actually needing enough sleep at the moment? Um, am I particularly feeling down? Is there something that can get my needs met? Or am I hungry right now? You know, I I suppose I'll ask you, mm. Nathan, if you were to describe to me what hunger feels like to you. I mean, you're obviously you're a dietitian yeah. student, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know this, but do you know what, what, how you feel hunger? The way I personally experience hunger, mm. uh, we'll say even before, before this today, I woke up this morning at like nine nine o'clock, pretty late. Yeah, and the first sleep thing, in. yeah, sleep in, and my I could feel it physically in my belly. I was like, yeah. I am hungry, and it wasn't my brain telling my belly that I was hungry. My yeah. belly was telling my brain, and I was yeah. like, your tummy right. was rumbling. Yeah, tummy was rumbling. Ready like, for I could food. feel empty. I was like, I'm ready to go. Let's get yeah. me into this. But then differently. Before yeah. you've come in this afternoon, I had breakfast so late. I was yeah. like, our conversation's going to run into the afternoon. Yeah. I'm not actually hungry, but I need to get some food. That's that mind-body connection. Yeah. So that is the part of intuitive eating where you you start to use the mind with the body. So, yeah, there's... I mean, it's so hard to explain kind of because there's 10 principles mm. and each one is explored for a certain amount of time. Um but it's it's not just noticing those hunger cues, but being aware of what else is coming on the rest of your day as well. Mm. So, for example, you may wake up in the morning and you may not necessarily feel hungry, right? But you're about to go and have a five-hour shift at work and you may not get a break. So you know that your body is actually going to need nourishment. Mm. You know you're actually going to need to fuel your body because otherwise what's going to happen in five hours? going to get that feeling of hunger. You are going to get the primal hunger, like the, I need food in me now, or I'm literally going to kill someone, or I'm going to eat an entire person. And that's that primal hunger when it's reached that, on, say, the hunger scale, it's reached that sort of number 10 where where you need to just go and grab food and everything and anything in sight will do because your body is is adapting yeah. and it will it's a lot smarter than you oh, and it yeah. will grab everything and it is often carbs that it'll go for yeah and so then there's that whole i suppose um concept of binge eating coming in a lot which is quite a lot of the predicament that most of the clients that i see are in mm. um and you know that might be at any sort of time throughout the day but reaching say that late afternoon period and coming home and just eating everything in sight. Mm. And so a lot of people are really hard on themselves when that happens. Mm. And there's a lot of negative self-talk that goes on like, oh my gosh, 
I can't believe I've just done that. Uh, why did I do that? I have no control, all of these different things. When really intuitive eating is about you get to that moment and you, you reflect compassionately and you're like, oh, okay, wow, that was really overwhelming. Mm. Um, I was so hungry. Um, I just fed my body. Let's have a think about what I did throughout my day that potentially led me to get to that point. Interesting to note that I haven't eaten in about five or six hours. So I didn't really adequately nourish my body. I didn't give it enough food. I didn't mm. give it enough carbohydrates. So it's gotten to this point where my body's like, oh, it needs food. It needs to be replenished. So it goes and partakes in that activity. Interesting to note that. What can I do tomorrow for myself that will allow me to not feel so overwhelmed come tomorrow afternoon? And it's so so many people that you talk to that experience that there's so much harshness around it and mm. so hard on themselves but when you really look at it it's a very natural biological response to go and grab carbs and grab food when you've been when you've not had anything to eat basically like essentially like deprived like you like like your body yeah. needs food and you're not giving it to it, mm. and you're now doing something else that's taking away from the time that you could be eating. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, I actually need to eat. This is in, I'm in trouble. Yeah, Your body's yeah. like, yeah, like your hormones are in check, like your brain is like, shit, I need glucose. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Need and it. You, you feel, and I've, everyone's experienced it, I would imagine, where you're in the fridge, and you're just grabbing and going. You're, yeah. not eating, you're eating peanut butter on banana, you're yeah. eating toast with Vegemite, you're yeah. eating pasta from two weeks ago, like, yeah. you're just going nuts, and you're... Your eyes and your like mind are just blank. That it's like food now. Like, yeah. yeah. And then you're like, oh crap! I got dinner in thirty minutes. Yeah, and that's <laughs> and that's that point where it's primal hunger. Mm. It's it's just you need you need food. Yeah. And I think that coming into that, I suppose bringing dieting just into that naturally is that a lot of the time when we have diets that dictate when, what, and how much for us to eat. Although really coming from well-meaning places, a lot of the time is that. Um, we're out of alignment with what our body actually needs and we're all very, very different people. Mm. We all are so individual and our body truly has those answers and sometimes it's just that we've become so disconnected from the one structure that we actually have, which is our body. And so what dieting tends to do is, yeah, it, it places a lot of emphasis on external tools as opposed to internal tools and I don't know this is personally my experiences with dieting and also the experiences of my clients with past dieting that it's generally very restrictive in terms of it's too little than what they actually need that binging happens all the time mm. on a diet it happens so much more frequently when on a diet when quote unquote trying to control something and then subsequently makes people feel like they are out of control. Um, and what I love to always let people know on is that in that, because I think, again, people are really harsh on themselves, is that you are not a failure and you did not fail a diet. It was destined to fail from mm. the very beginning. Um, and that's also something that we have very heavily cemented in the research that we have now on weight and health as well, that actually dieting is the strongest predictor that we have of weight gain. Like That's level A evidence yeah. that actually dieting increases our risk of weight gain when most of us in partake in dieting, right, well-meaning, in well-meaning ways, 
to lose weight, mm. yet it results in the thing, the one thing that we were trying to fight. Trying to fight. Yeah, the regain. Yeah. And so it's like where, at what point does something shift? And I think that that's where it's really hard. It's really hard for people to hear that because diet culture tells us we need to be dieting. Mm. And diet culture tells us that unless we're living in a smaller body, unless we are... Uh, yeah, yeah, living in a smaller body, then we're not healthy or we're not worthy. Mm. And that's everywhere you turn. That's not just in conversations with people every day, but it's when you turn on the TV, it's when you turn on social media, it's this message that we receive and that we've received for really our whole lives that we need to be dieting to get small and, I mean, that suppose I suppose that really ties into, and P.S., I Unless it's not obvious, I don't agree with that. Mm, <laughs> that <yeah>. That's <laughs> that we do not our health and our um, worth is certainly not determined by a weight or a number on the scales. But I suppose coming into that is, um, you know, weight stigma as well. And um, I'm very health at every size aligned, which again is a framework for providing weight neutral care for patients or anyone mm. really. Um, and so what that basically means is there's a focus on behaviors as opposed to weight itself in that weight is not an accurate indicator of health as in, we can't look at someone and assume their health based on the way that they look right. It's, it's the behaviors that someone partakes in that contributes to health while reflecting that health also means not just your physical health, but psychological, emotional, spiritual, all of those other different things as well. And even just on behaviours, I think that the intention behind the behaviour is super important to investigate too mm. because you can have conversations with people who are doing so many so many really well-meaning things for themselves, right, and healthy behaviours but are kind of driven almost sometimes by an intention of fear or negative consequences and then that's also really important to unpack too. Mm. Intention is a good one. Like you can – what we learn like in dietetic school is like, you know, ask for why up to five times mm. in, when you're riding your pez mm. but you put that back into terms of like why are you dieting yeah. oh because i want to lose that why are you want to lose weight oh because yeah. i want to look like this for my wedding day why do you want to do that oh yeah. because all the other ladies in the wedding magazines look like this why do you want to look like them and it's like it just keeps going going on yeah. until you hit that rock and it's like this is what we need to start with totally yeah. need it and i can't believe how much we would miss if we didn't ask why as in yeah. if somebody came in and just said look, I really want to lose weight. And, you know, me particularly, the way that I practice mm. is I don't help people to lose weight. I help them to develop healthy behaviours and investigate their relationship with food. So I'm all about helping people to develop a positive relationship food with intuitive eating and all those sorts of things too. And, you know, if, if we were to just take that at face value, there's so much that we would miss. Like, there's a whole can of worms sitting underneath that question that I think is really overlooked um, whereas when we we delve deeper for people and when we're able to create that space that allows them to feel safe to as well so you know encourage that vulnerability um, by creating a safe space then you can really find out so much about the person in front of you and actually help them so much Um, that's what you're there to do you're there to help and that's why they'll come to see you because they want your help and the, yeah. thankfully it's good that they've gone to the right person and yeah. I guess gone to 
Evan's pace practice gone to a dietitian, they're not yeah. just going to Instagram or going to Google. Yeah. So it's really cool to see. <laughs> Which I think happens quite a lot too, doesn't it? What do you think people do wrong with it? Like As the, in? The term, the term, they go, I'm an intuitive eater because I do this. What is wrong about that? Is there anything wrong about that? Um, okay, so I suppose um, what you mean is what are some of the misunderstandings of yeah. eating almost? Yeah, if you haven't already explained those. Yeah, yeah. So I um, suppose some of those misunderstandings or what somebody might think is that they may be doing intuitive eating, right, is getting to this point where, oh, okay, so um, oh, um, I'm really hungry at the moment um, but I just ate an hour ago. I don't know if this is a good example, but I'm rolling with it. Yeah. Um, I'm really hungry at the moment, but I just ate an hour ago. How can I possibly be hungry? Oh, okay. I'm not going to eat something. Mm. Whereas intuitive eating would tell you that if you are feeling hunger, that is a biological cue from your body that you do need to eat something regardless of if you ate an hour ago. Mm. So, and I think that's a really common struggle that so many people have where they think that they shouldn't be hungry or that hunger is a bad thing almost to feel especially I think when people are on a diet it's almost met with a lot of fear um and again I think I can talk from personal experiences back in many many years ago Mm. in my own life on that as well Um, whereas hunger is this really normal, beautiful thing that we can experience. And so intuitive eating would be, oh, okay, I ate an hour ago, but at the moment I'm, I'm actually really feeling hungry. I'm going to go and eat something. And then depending on what stage you are at in that intuitive eating journey, it would be, okay, what's something that is going to feel good inside my body Mm. and that's going to sustain me, um, depending on what I suppose is on the rest of the day. Um, intuitive, sorry, you go. No, I was going to say, I'm not going eating the same exact meal again. It's like, well, you know, understand how your body reacts to that. Okay, I've had my, say, for example, salad and tuna or whatever for yeah, lunch. Yeah, Pro- I probably didn't have enough of this. I'll just have, a, like, another apple now. You don't need to go there and then once, once you feel hungry, go smash a cake like or smash something that's so going to make you sick. Like, you just because you're yeah. hungry, don't go and, and over in Not overindulge, but o- overdo it. Like, you're, yeah, okay. you're hungry, but, like... Yeah, and that's, I would say, would come into, like, you're not that hungry. Yeah, okay, so, lots of things there. Yeah. Um, let me just... Yeah, prove me wrong. Sit with it, no. Yeah, there. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so depending, again, on the stage that you're in, a really big, I think, misunderstanding is that intuitive eating, um, there's a specific principle called making peace with food, Mm. which really challenges the foods that you, that bring either fear in you or that you believe as being good or bad. So intuitive eating is that there is no good or bad foods. Food is not moralistic. Mm. It is food. Um, And when we attach morals to foods such as good and bad, sometimes that's absorbed within us as this food is bad, I am eating it, therefore I am bad. Whereas truly, food is neither good nor bad. It's just food. And so in a principle called making peace with food, I think there's a lot... um, of misunderstanding around that, or I suppose this is a big misunderstanding of intuitive eating, mm. that people think that it is eating whatever you want, whenever you want, and that's going to result in people eating um, copious amounts of quote-unquote uh, nutrient-poor foods or yeah. not-nutrient-rich foods, mm-hmm. I suppose. And so there's lots kind of to unpack in that statement too. 
in that in the initial stages of intuitive eating, it's a 10-step, 10-principle journey. Um, when somebody has had a very lifelong disordered relationship with food and specific foods in general, um, let's just use an example. I'm just going to roll with cake because yeah. you brought that one up. That... Making peace with food challenges them to make peace with those foods that bring them fear mm. or guilt or stress or shameful feelings when they eat them. And, I mean, most people feel this from car- from eating carbs mm. or from eating sugar or, I can't think of anything, but eating fats. So sometimes it's entire macronutrient groups where people feel this. Yeah. Um, and at that point and in those beginning stages... People are finally, finally giving themselves permission to eat things unconditionally. Mm. That for years, and I literally mean years, like 30, 40 years that people have been dealing with this stuff, that then that can look like making food choices based on giving yourself permission. And I think that that scares a lot of people. One, the people that are actually taking the step to do it as well and letting go and I think that it also scares a lot of health professionals as well but the thing is that health and having healthy eating includes having a healthy relationship with food Mm. if we have disordered thinking around food specific foods nutrient poor foods that's disordered that's going to create harm somewhere down the line. That's going to create harm that could possibly be passed on to your children that are watching you well-meaning, quote-unquote, take care of yourself. Mm. Um, And so sometimes in those initial stages, it can look a bit like that. It can look a bit like, wow, I'm finally giving myself permission to eat. You know what? Right now, I actually feel like eating some cake. Mm. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to go and eat some cake. But you know what's different that I'm going to do to what I did six months ago before I discovered this and what this all means? Is I'm actually going to sit with the experience of eating the cake. So I, instead of going and maybe possibly grabbing it and mindlessly eating it, there's eating with awareness. And this is almost, there's different stages of intuitive eating and hyperconsciousness is one of those stages where you are thinking a lot and you are present with your eating experiences a lot. So that means eating without distraction, actually figuring out, do I actually like the taste and texture of this food that I have made so exciting or fearful? So what that step process allows people to do is they've only ever known that food is either one, exciting, or two, fearful. One, fearful when you're on a diet or you're restricting it. Two, exciting when you've come off it. There's no in-between. It's not ever been just food. And so when people are finally given unconditional permission to eat that food, they're allowed to see, do I actually even like the taste of this food? How does it feel in my body? Does it feel good? Maybe it might awesome that's great I know that I like this food maybe it doesn't feel good okay my mind body knows that that food doesn't really feel well physically sitting in my body it's all about the direct experience of the body not the mind Mm. so it's bringing it really really far back to that interceptive awareness that I suppose I was talking about at the beginning now on that I really just want to touch on the term conditional permission to eat Mm. because making peace with food is a huge part of intuitive eating and when people go through this stage, there's conditional permission to eat and then there's unconditional permission to eat. So let's say it's cake, right? That's yeah. that's the food I'm challenging because it's been either really exciting or really fearful for me and I've had a lot of disordered eating thoughts around it for my life. 
So I'm going to challenge this cake, but if I partake in eating that, yet I still have diet mentality conditions attached around it, such as, oh, I should not be eating this. Oh, this is so bad for my health. I can't believe what this is going to do to my waistline. Mm. I'm going to go and need to run 10 miles after I finish having this cake. That's not unconditional permission to eat. That's not unconditional. There's conditions attached to it. Whereas unconditional permission to eat is, all right, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to enjoy this cake because food is here for so many different purposes in my life. And right now, something is telling me that I'd actually really like to eat this right now. Also, I'm challenging it because this has been a really exciting or fearful food for me. I'm going to sit down, quiet space, no distractions, and I'm going to see how this feels, see how it tastes. Um, And then when you pack that up, wrap it up, walk away, the experience is done. It's not this mind uh, conversation going on after leaving the table such as, I can't believe I just did that. Why did I do that? Which is so common. Oh, yeah. So common. The more you've been talking, I'll keep going. Yeah. Well, I I just wanted to differentiate between conditional permission to eat and unconditional permission to eat because I think that's also something that a lot of my clients struggle with Mm. um, in that they think they are giving themselves permission to eat something. So, for example, let's say that that's donuts and then there's someone that uncontrollably or I don't like to use that Mm. word, but it's 10 donuts and... And, you know, oh, but I'm giving myself permission to do that. So why am I doing it? And then you investigate that further. Are you actually giving yourself permission to eat? What's the self-talk? And it's always something that's going on that's negative. That's, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this again. I'm going to have to go and run run all this all off after or something like that. So I suppose I just wanted to um, differentiate between conditional and unconditional permission to eat because it's a really significant component of progressing on the path of intuitive eating as no, well. No, it's amazing. And what I was thinking about there, and I can picture it in my head, it's like a little cartoon of like, you know, you're at the start and mm. you have some cake at a party or for your birthday, then you go to bed and you're awake all night. And you're like, I can't believe I ate that cake. I'm going to have to go to training in the morning. Like, this is, I'm going to be Food's so sluggish. Food's not here for that I'm, reason. I'm not going to be so sluggish. I'm going to feel like, I'm going to tell everyone at work I can't believe I ate cake last night. Like, yeah. Whereas like, perpetuates that in cycle. example B, it's like, I had a great night with my girlfriend and had some cake. Gone to bed. Yeah. And then I'm like, mate, I've got 80 more years of eating cake. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm here till yeah. I'm 100, you know, like, yeah. I can't wait next time to have some cake. Yeah. Had a birthday. Completely. You know? So different. Absolutely. You have the nail on the head, right. And I suppose when we talk about that, I also reflect that it's so much easier said than done too, in that, yeah, that seems like a, you know, oh, of course, you know, just speak like that. But, um... It's difficult because everywhere that we turn is somebody or something telling us that we are making a bad choice unless we aren't eating something nutritionally dense. Mm. As in, that's when you go to your gym. That's people talking about foods they're going to eat and then come train the next day. That's friendship circles. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm in friendship circles, yes, as an intuitive eater and health at every size of line dietitian, where dieting is, is common. It's, it's in health professions. It's it's kind of everywhere, and it's when you turn on the Today Show in the morning. Like, yeah, it's right there. It's yeah. kind of everywhere. So the journey of intuitive eating is hard because it's you, and it's your journey. It's all inside you, and it's not a pass or fail. It's not black and white. You direct the journey. I'm just there, and any other intuitive eating counselor is just there to help guide you along and see where maybe, oh, maybe we could go here next. If you don't want to, that's okay. Let's find another route that we can go down on this path or whatever that might be, that you tend to 
you can, I always say that mm. I like to build up their autonomy mm. and build up their um, resilience because they're going to get hit with diet culture as soon as they leave my office. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's just the way that it is. I'll they're see gonna, the billboard. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. Yeah. It's one of those things where well, prior to being aware of it, you don't realize where and how the messages come in terms of things we should or shouldn't be doing or ways we should or shouldn't look. And it's even in the word, like the word diet, like I think a lot of dietitians don't like it and we're trying to to build a new word for it. But like, it's not called the intuitive eating diet. It's Mm. called intuitive eating. Like, or it's like, and like, even if we look at healthier diets of cultures, like, you know, um, like the blue zones have come out and then it's also mm. talking about like Mediterranean style of eating. It's yeah, not Mediter- yeah. It shouldn't be called like Mediterranean diet. Yeah. It should be called, this is a, a way of eating. Totally. Like, and on that as well. Like Mediterranean eating, intuitive yeah. eating, you know, yeah. eating for sport. Yeah. Things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all those different things provide different frameworks. Like the Mediterranean diet is a way of eating. Mm. It is actually different to yeah. a diet, right? And I mean, I suppose in saying that though, for very, very lifelong chronic dieters, um, they sometimes can take intuitive eating or take, say, a way of eating such as Mediterranean and turn it into a diet too. Mm. And so I think that's why we're there because we're just that subtle voice and that subtle reminder that it doesn't need to cause worry um, or any of those other concepts too. So that's, I think, something um, that I'm always looking out for as well and I always bring it back to the person because you don't want someone to take take another thing if it's a lifelong dieting history and turn that into a set of rules because it's not. Yeah. Intuitive eating is not a set of rules at all. It is, it looks different for everybody and everybody's journey is so, so different as well. And you'd be seeing that in your practice with all the different types of people. Yeah, yeah. The door. And depending on, I think, somebody's history as well, you know, somebody can have started their first diet at five years old. Mm. Like, Oh my gosh, that's so significant. That's so significant. That's such a deep, deep history because our belief system is established when we are young, right? Yeah, yeah. And most people can also trigger back and remember a moment in time, the first time that they might have been weight stigmatized, which initiated their whole dieting, Mm. dieting history, which then they've been on for 30 or 40 years. Um... To prove that one person wrong who made a comment and it's like changed their entire life. Yeah. But that person just made an off comment or yeah. it was like a 10-year-old child just trying to be mean. Like, yeah. And it's changed their... It's made the course for their like their lifestyle. Yeah, like, which yeah. which often when it's that chronic dieting history, it's been very it's been very difficult and that, that weight cycling, mm. that on and off yo-yo dieting, which we also know now so much about weight cycling, which is the whole... Gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight seem really typical of chronic dieters. That that actually contributes to poorer health outcomes than staying stably overweight, right? And focusing on just positive behaviors. So, this has been good. I'm really enjoying this. Me too. Uh, if, and you don't have to answer this question, okay. but <laughs> I'd like, you, like for you to reflect on your own experience with previously mm-hmm. competing. In a physique show, yeah, and how your mind is different. Oh my god, from, it's so different from now and then. Yeah, so um, I, I, I'm really interested in sports dietetics, yeah. and it's a whole other realm. And obviously, um, totally. Uh, what's his niches. name? What's his name? Shane. Um, oh, Shane, yeah. like obviously, yeah, he's been in both in sports and in, in eating disorders. Oh, Shane like Jeffrey. Yeah, Shane yeah. Jeffrey. Yeah. So, like, what's your? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so your experience. Totally. So, speaking from my experience. 
in that I have competed in bodybuilding competitions. Mm. So that was around, that was the year I started studying Mm. nutrition and dietetics. So my gosh, that was what, like six-ish years ago? Yeah. Uh, I remember I was, I remember I was 19. Um, And for me, I, I didn't actually really grow up to be, much of an active individual and I had never dieted or anything like that. So Mm. I didn't have a particular history like I suppose a lot that I do see in a lot of my clients where, you know, the first diet happened at a really young age or there was a lot of weight talk going on. Um, I just kind of, it was just all very stable for me to be Mm -hmm. totally honest. But um, when I finished high school, I sort of fell into just joining a gym and I really loved the way that movement made me feel because I'd not really been an active adolescent or much throughout my life and it was a really positive space. It was, I loved to go to the gym and working on my strength and all those sorts of things and then I suppose in that gym setting as a 19 year old, there's so much influences around you that I discovered bodybuilding competitions and I was like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, that sort of like competitive nature in me mm. and I suppose want to be driven to make my body look a certain way too, to be honest. That's my history as well. So I participated in a bodybuilding competition and had a coach um, and one I just want to start off with that I am so grateful for my experience at that time in my life mm. because it has allowed me to have a deeper understanding from an experiential level of what goes on for people. So that time in my life, I I can highlight in different ways because one, um, I think I liked working toward a goal and the kind of sassy closeted part of myself liked to walk on a stage to music. But what went on a lot behind the scenes was a lot of disordered eating that nobody really saw. Mm. Um, And I didn't really realize that there was something wrong with that until I became more educated. And I'll be honest, my degree and learning about these sorts of things healed my disordered relationship with food. Mm. But um, yeah, so I I competed in a bodybuilding competition and I was um, on quite a restrictive meal plan to get myself to that point. Um, I lost menstruation, um, got down to a very significant body, uh, small body fat percentage. And for the first time in my life, I experienced chronic binge eating and body obsession, fixation, and literally overtraining beyond belief. So Uh, I don't want to get into details, but training three to four hours a day on minimal calories. And if I slipped up and ate um, something that was outside of what was on my plan, Mm. that could have literally meant just some more of whatever it was. That could have just meant some more rice. Mm. That could have meant just some more meat. Then I would go and exercise and literally cry as I was doing it. And... Those, I suppose, binging episodes that I also partook in, I never told anyone about them too. There was so much shame. There was so much like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I do this? Mm. And the truth of the matter is that my body had autonomy and was saying that there was something really wrong with what I was doing to it. Mm. But, But... Everyone around me who I love so much at that time supported me through it, right? Because it's something I wanted to do. And 
when we don't know about diet culture and we're not educated on it, those sorts of things fly under the radar. Disordered eating flies under the radar when we don't know the red flags for it mm. or when it's in hiding and somebody doesn't feel safe enough to speak up about it. So, yeah, there's, some, I suppose, some different lights mm. at that time in my life. Um, but what happened then for my body, that was the first time I'd ever dieted in my life and been on something restrictive or meal plan based. And it was super restrictive and things did get really, really disordered that when my competition ended, it was like total backlash from deprivation Mm. that my body was so deprived for such a long period of time. I mean, I lost my period Mm. that it ate everything. And for the first time in my life, I experienced weight gain as mm, well. Yeah. And that was uncomfortable, to be totally honest. Again, this was something that was five or six years ago. And I still remember hearing words from people in the fitness space that I was in that, mm. oh, she's blown out. Like, there's still things I remember. Yeah. Like, I remember those words because they were so triggering to be so shameful. Mm. And the thing is that, if I hadn't have educated myself through my degree and through health at every size or all of these paradigms and frameworks that we have, I might still think that there was something wrong with me mm. for that, where the system was wrong. There was so, that's the thing. Like, we're fighting a system, not individuals, and that is the system of diet culture. Um, so, I mean, I kind of paint that really kind of negatively. I know that that's not everyone's experience as well. And I also know that there was elements of it that I did love, Mm. you know, like I sort of just said, I loved bringing out my closeted sassy self and getting on a stage and, and walking around and all of those sorts of different wacky things. And I, you know, I did actually love my coach. We had some really great times together, but, um, but yeah, there was definitely some really dark, harmful parts of that Mm. experience that, I kind of only really kept to myself at that time. Um, whereas, my gosh, if <laughs> if Monique, me Monique, mm. saw that young girl standing opposite her and created a vulnerable space for her to speak up about what was happening, oh, man, it would look very different, I think. Yeah. I really do. Because, and yeah. How do you feel now? So, uh, as in at the moment. Yeah, like when you look at back in that experience. Now, oh. When you saw that Monique in, yeah. like, in person. Like, how do you feel about that? Oh, now? my gosh. Um, look, I have no regrets. Yeah. I have no regrets. Like I said at the very beginning when we started talking about this topic, I am so grateful mm. that I had that experience because I'm an experiential learner. That's the only way I learn. Truly, we're all different learners, and I'm an experiential learner, meaning that if I've, if I've experienced something, I, I feel like I understand it a lot better. And that has allowed me to understand the people that sit in front of me that go through similar things um, and have compassion for that. And I think that understanding is a really important part um, in terms of helping someone too. But um, I suppose in terms of... You know, Monique, 19-year-old Monique is... She was doing the best that she knew to do at that time. Yeah, yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, I unfortunately didn't have an older Monique who knew a lot more than I do now. And You were that, that part of the thread. Yeah. The thread exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I truly believe it was all part of my thread. Um, that that was the best that I knew. And that was the best that the people around me knew too. Um, 
Yeah, because I was biased. I was like saying, how cool is this? Get amongst it. Like, yeah, <laughs> keep dropping. Like, let's go. Like, yeah. Yeah. this many weeks out or whatever, you know, things like that. Like, totally. those positive reinforcements from others and you're like yeah cool I can do this but yeah. on the inside and, and to be honest behind the scenes yeah they're like, yeah and you know you know you you like that and you need that as well but I wonder what it would have looked like if someone just one person had have said hey Monique are you doing okay like yeah are you feeling stress around food are you feeling guilt are you binge eating are you feeling shame or whatever those things are obviously from first yeah. building the safe space to discuss that because yeah. if when you just come off the cusp with that walls go up defensiveness yeah, yeah. but I wonder yeah I, I needed I probably needed someone to mm. be that person for me but while I also am not angry that people encouraged me yeah. and supported me because that was beautiful and so well-meaning. I think that's the biggest thing. It's always really, not always, mm. but my experience, well-meaning support. But um, I think it's about bringing awareness to people that what you see isn't always what's there. And sometimes it's just being aware of some, I don't know, some of those red flags, I suppose. Thanks for sharing. That's what... Yeah, it's okay. Thank yeah. you. I actually don't really talk about that time in my life very yeah. often so it's actually really nice to reflect on it yeah cool to be honest thanks I know I really, really appreciate it because it's hard to talk about yeah. things like that when you're in moving in a different space or in a different yeah um, different part of the thread yeah totally I was quite surprised and I said this before when I saw you this morning to see if like a first year dietitian going out on their own and, mm. and but it's been so motivating like to see like your progress and what happened so yeah. what has been your biggest challenge up to this point in time in terms of Becoming the intuitive dietitian. Yeah, okay. Um, the biggest challenge... Um, I think the biggest challenge up until this point in time, this is without, I suppose, being able to give it too much more thought than just right now, mm. is was that, that moment of making the step from can I do this to I'm going to do this? That whatever happened there in between, yeah. that, that, um, yeah, you know, can I do this? And then, yeah, all right, I'm doing this and how can I do this? And that middle space in between, which was full of all that, I suppose, self-work, belief in myself and my progression and confidence and breaking through so much fear, um, to actually just go, okay, I'm going to, I'm actually going to go and step out and do this. And then also, I suppose just on top of that as well is, I think something that naturally comes in there as well is what will people think? Mm. I think, um, you know, that self-talk as in, wow, I am just somebody that has come out of a year of being or whatever, Mm. however long it might've been a year of being at uni. Can I actually do this? Um, you know, what will people think about, about somebody that just goes and does this kind of thing? Um, and working through a lot of that as well, I think. And I think that what helped that was moving and, um, educating myself in what I knew that it was I wanted to do. So, you know, I know that I want to be an expert in intuitive eating and I want to help people in disordered eating. So I looked to who were the people that I knew, who are the experts in those fields that I want to be an expert in, and how do I learn off them? And then I went and did that, and then that helps your confidence level, mm. I think, of course. Yeah. Um, so probably, th- yeah, the biggest challenge is, yeah, probably all of that and confidence and um, just stepping into the unknown. 
um, yeah. It's been cool to watch. It's been very, yeah. very good to watch. Yeah. Although I feel like I kind of just sprung it out of nowhere as well in typical Monique style. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard though. People ex- like in, in terms of business and stuff. People expect you to have like all oh, this like secret and build up and then yeah. have a pre-release and it's like, well, nah, this is unique with her practice. <laughs> Fucking bang! Like, <laughs> it's open, it's coming in. Like, yeah, it's a really cool space. It looks amazing. It's, so, it's it really nice. It would have been such a fun experience to. Put it was together. so fun because yeah, like, all my friends helped stuff. me paint yeah. it. And so I've had like dreams of that. Like when I'm oh, making something so in the future, I want my friends to come over. We all just. So like, fun. no labour. We all just hung out, have some beers and paint this place. So, like, so fun. Yeah. yeah. My friends, a lot of my really amazing friends came and we painted the whole space because it was this kind of like really dark, dark, dark green. Mm. And I didn't want that. And all the walls were different colours and chipped and everything. So everyone came, a bunch of, oh, probably like eight of us. Oh, probably a bit less than that. Um, And we just painted for a few days and we were there till... 11 o'clock at night, shouted everyone pizza, we just did yeah, it, we had fun, cool. there was music going, um, and it was almost just like this super exciting time and building energy in a space that was going to start doing some really great things for people. So, yeah, it was actually really, really fun. It has been really fun. That's cool. There's been challenges, there's been triumphs, there's been fun, all of it. What, what does it say on your wall? I don't know if you know, oh, you know yes. it off by heart. Of course yeah. I know it off by heart. So <laughs> yeah. on my wall it says the enjoyment of knowing that you have walked away better, more free, more present, more connected to food, and the joyful experience of eating from being in our caring presence. Very cool. Which is at the end of the day and in all the years to come that that's, that's the goal mm. of people walking away from the Intuitive Dietitian Clinic, that you've walked away better, more free, more present, more connected to food and to the joyful experience of eating from being with me. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you think people, and this is just kind of just what's not written on here, popping yeah. into my head, do you think people could get the wrong um, um, interpretation of something written like that? They're like, oh, I can just go and eat whatever I want. Um, uneducated people would read that and say, not saying that any, you know, not yeah. pointing anyone yeah, out, yeah, but yeah. just like in general. No, really great question because that, again, means that other people are thinking that as well. Yeah. And it's important to broach those conversations. So, um, again, right, that's where it comes in that intuitive eating is this long, long process. And at the very beginning, when you have had lifelong held beliefs about foods and restriction, that 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 beginning stage can look largely like allowing yourself to have what it is that you want at that exact moment because yeah. you're learning. You're learning. It's never a, oh, um, oh my gosh, I'm I'm doing this in this stage and I've just eaten all of these sorts of things. Um, oh my god, I should be doing that. No, it's actually truly just about compassionate reflection in that stage. You're really, really learning about yourself. This is mm. a six month if not longer, process. There's so many phases and stages that you go through that that, um, it's just about having that reflection that you are learning about you. You're Mm. learning about you. And, uh, you know, that's what that looks like, right? But then uh, down, down, way, 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 the end of the line, the 10th principle of intuitive eating is gentle nutrition. That's where you start to talk about nutrition. That's where you start to talk about nutrients and foods and, and what that looks like without pulling the rug under, uh, from underneath people. Mm. Um, and that's the last principle for a very real reason in that we can't address nutrition unless somebody has a healthy relationship with food. 
because if we do that, then there's rules and there's attachments and there's different other things being made. And now this isn't the case for everyone as yeah, well. Not everyone has disordered eating, yeah, right? Of course not. Yeah. You know, someone can come in, receive some nutrition education, and it's a be- from a beautiful space. It's really positively absorbed. It's oh, awesome. I'm going to go and do these sorts of things from a really great place and work on these behaviors. Absolutely. Mm. Not at all saying that every single person that lives in this world is is suffering. Yeah, and exactly. That's in this type too. of mind. But mind in intuitive brain. eating, principle number 10 is gentle nutrition where you do start to talk about those concepts. But I always say that having a, health, having a healthy... Um, being healthy is having a healthy relationship with food. You know, if we don't have a healthy relation or positive, I should mm. say, or any other word, relationship with food, then it's then when it comes to nutrition education, it's like building the foundation on a set of tweaks. You know, it's going to come crashing down at some point. Whereas when you build that solid foundation, if somebody desperately needs that, it's stable, it's structured, and then we talk gentle nutrition at the very end, and it's this whole picture. But that timing also looks different depending on the person as yeah, well. Yeah, and where they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when in a fully-fledged intuitive eater eats hunger and fullness, mind-body connection, eats for comfort with awareness, um, and eats for enjoyment and has periods of overeating as well. Mm. That's really common. You know, all of us, we are human. Fully-fledged intuitive eaters overeat because – and then – it again it's just that constant learning about ourselves mm. but we're more equipped out there on our own now after going through an experience to know oh okay interesting that that happened for me no judgement but mm. you know what, what sort like of went Christmas on there Christmas day birthday yeah. like all the time. you're probably going to go home and be like oh this belly's bigger than it usually is like <laughs> yeah. I've had some extra food today yeah and that's fine yeah yeah, yeah. and so there's so there's so much to it, but I definitely yeah, feel like heaps to it, I yeah. do feel like that is a very common sort of thrown around thought, um, and it's unfortunate because it, it also represents I think not a complete understanding of what intuitive eating is yeah, as well, and, and it you know it's coming back to actually how does food feel in my body as well. So mm. um, I love this one. This was off Evelyn Triblay's, uh recent um, interview with. Dan Brown on the Happier podcast or something like that. That's really good, by the way. Um, and he was he posed so many questions, which was awesome because he has um, his own body issues and food issues going on. So it was this great interaction to listen to because it was almost like Evelyn was kind of coaching him yeah. through it. And he brought up the fact that, um, oh, okay, so then I can just go and eat three packets of Oreos because right? mm. I assume that that's what people are thinking. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. And then Evelyn sort of came back with, okay, but but when you truly take those three packets of Oreos, P.S. Dan had a specific trigger around Oreos and that he wasn't allowed Oreos when he was a kid. Um, so that was really exciting for him to think about going and having Oreos. That, okay, if I actually went and had Oreos with unconditional permission and took myself to a space that was um, non-destructive, and then I had them all, right, and I might love every taste because I've not been allowed to ever have these. So I actually might genuinely love the taste of this. I wonder how my body's going to feel an hour later. And, I mean, don't think about that, but notice. An hour later, how does my body actually feel? Mm, when we are really in tune with our bodies... Three packets of Oreos might not feel that good inside of us. But again, in that stage where we're going through those processes, challenging the foods, you're the rule maker, you decide what you do, I'm there guiding you. If something like that happens and you suddenly eat 10 packets of Oreos and you feel so sick, it's never about, oh my God, why did you do that? Mm. I can't believe you just did that. It's, 
wow, eating 10 packets of Oreos really doesn't feel nice in yeah. my body. I love this. Like, what yeah. am I going to do what am I going to do next week? Like, am I going to choose to have 10 Oreos again? You know what? I might, but I'm going to keep learning from it yeah. in this phase. So, I love that. so it's, again, it's that body connection. How does it actually feel in my body? And most of us just live our lives. Again, like I said at the start, so disconnected from the one structure that we have mm. and that's our body or we're on the go. We're so busy. We're rushing from place to place and uh, that we have, lost that sensation yeah. within ourselves it's literally I say this all the time intuitive eating is the journey home to yourself and it honest to God is that's awesome it's the journey home to yourself because you have all of the answers and, and you're then, just learning as well like, like learning. you said very early in the start of the podcast you said like you know there's never an end point in like in work and stuff well, there's, yeah. there's always going to be work like yeah. and that's like you're working on yourself in terms of intuitive eating there's, there's always going to be learning and like you make a decision stick with it do it yeah reflect like don't be like i'm so bad because of this oh my god i can't ever had that think about it like what would i do better next time or if i tried this next time actually i'm allergic to this food why you know well yeah yeah, or things like that yeah he's discomfort but like like in terms of like all right well maybe only nine feels good for me nine packets Mm. and then let's try that next week let's see how that actually feels you know what i mean like just practice like it's just practice you know what i mean yeah it honestly it's like trying new foods you might not like it yeah. You know, and then you'll be like, oh, well, now I know I've learnt and taught myself that I don't like that food. Yeah. So I'm not going to eat it. Yeah. But, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, there's so... That's amazing. This is cool. so... I'm, getting, I'm getting really into this. This is cool. <laughs> what do you want to do with the intuitive dietitian and where do you want to take it? Yeah. Um, Obviously very early. It is. It is absolutely in the early stages, but I definitely want to reach a lot of people. Yeah. Um, because I, I truly believe there are a lot of people who need intuitive eating in their lives. Um, and so I definitely want to, I suppose, broaden, broaden that within my clinic setting. So I've obviously got my clinic, Mm -hmm. which, um, I've got growth plans for that as well. Um, and I suppose thinking about various other ways is I've actually thought about starting up a podcast, but like I said to you, I just have not got around to it yet. Um, And I suppose just different ways to to largely educate people on it. And I think that for me personally, um, I feel like there is need for some education within healthcare units as well, Um, specifically to do with health at every size and weight and health and all of those sorts of things in that what we're currently doing I think isn't actually helping people um and so I suppose that some of my plans involve possibly going and educating health professionals and that sort of thing as well on on some of these different things um but I just love it so much that I just want to yeah tell everyone that's cool and so a, a specific small or bigger goal that you're focusing on right now to mm. be able to, to reach those mm. as many people as you can? Yep. Um, so content creation, mm. definitely one of those things which um, it's hard. I can find myself, um, you know, coming to the end of a day or something like that and, and not prioritising it. Um, I, again, I think one of those smaller goals coming up that I really want to get started on is a podcast as well. Yeah. Um, and 
I'm running, I've just started a pilot program to run group intuitive eating sessions. So um, what that will look like is about two or three-ish people at my clinic. Um, so at the moment, I'm actually running one. It's free and I have applications, um, so a survey monkey for people to fill out to apply for it so that I, I want to you know, get the right people in the right mix there for this first program because I'll be learning mm-hmm. about group dynamic settings and teaching intuitive eating. Um, but if anyone's listening and would love to be a part of that, there is a link in my bio, the intuitive dietitian, to apply for that program. So it'll run, there'll be 10 sessions, obviously for the 10 principles run fortnightly from about March to however, 12, uh, tw- uh, 10 weeks, oh no, um, 20 weeks later is. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's, I suppose that's a goal at the moment for me to reach more people, but also for affordability yeah. because I have crossed paths with a lot of people who really want and need this in their life, but affordability is a big barrier. Yeah. So I think that providing group sessions is a way to make it more affordable for people, I suppose. And, and people can learn off each other as well. Like it's absolutely. Safe, it's, like, it's like the domino effect. Yeah. So it's like Dan, John and Sam with you. And yeah. Dan goes, oh, you know, well, I feel this way. And, Jam- and Sam goes, oh, sweet. Well, like that's my question as well. Yeah. And then like two birds, one stone, bang. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And then even that, how that looks on the outlay, you know, mm. there's a domino flow in our lives. And something that I'm particularly passionate about is breaking cycles, right? That's a, that's a aspirational uh, value of the intuitive dietitian. Um, breaking cycles as in, you know, this sort of dieting or these sorts of thoughts, obsessions around our bodies could have gone on for years within family units, right? And how beautiful is it that you've landed here to break this cycle? Mm. You can break this cycle so that your children can grow up in a really positive environment with um, food and, and those sorts of things, you know. I think I was reading recently that weight stigma is highest in families and physicians, as in when you go home to your family, that's an, um, a space where you're more likely to feel weight stigma. When you go to your physician, aka mm. that's, when we, that's where we go to get help, you're likely to feel weight stigma. That those two are the greatest places that we that people experience. feel weight and experience mm. weight stigma, which mm. is huge. Imagine if we can break those cycles mm. and actually provide something for people that 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 helps them you you know weight stigmatizing is just it's truly discrimination and it just triggers so much shame people are more than what they look like there's a whole person behind whatever kilo you look like and whatever kilos you have on you whatever yeah like your shit your body shape there's a whole mind there's a body there's a soul there's a heart like yeah emotion feeling there's lots of things in a person besides their external appearance oh my gosh yeah yeah it's crazy absolutely um, Absolutely. And you mentioned it before. Could you elaborate on your yoga practice experience with, is it Vipassana? Oh, yes. Yes, yeah, sorry. So this is something you did when we were in university. Yes, yeah, right? so, and I do it every year. Oh, you do? Okay, well. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. it's not a yoga practice. Mm. It's it's Vipassana meditation. Cool. So um, here's the thread of yeah. my life. Yeah. So Vipassana meditation is literally a meditation based on bringing awareness to the physical sensations of your body. So it is that at every single moment in time, there is a physical sensation happening right now on our bodies, right? But mm. we're, we're talking, we're busy, so we can't really feel those subtle underlying sensations that are going on, but they're happening and they're there. And so for partial meditation, you go away, P.S., it's 
free. Um, it's all donation based, which is beautiful because it allows everyone to experience the liberation. Um, it's a 10 day course that I do in Pomona in the Sunshine Coast. This year will be my fourth one. Um, they are also all over the world. So you can type in Vipassana meditation and they are literally all over the world. And it's a 10-day course where you basically are in silence. You don't have any technology, no phones, no laptops, obviously. You don't have a book. You don't have music. You literally just take you, your toiletries, some clothes, um, and you basically sit and meditate for about 10 to 12 hours per day. Um, all food is provided for you. You basically live like a monk for about 10 days where food's there for you. Um, and you learn this technique, which is feeling the physical sensations of your body. So your mind becoming so quiet that you can literally feel the physical sensations that are happening at the subtler level of your body. So that might be intense pain as a sensation. That might be just little, um, like little goosebumps over your body or little tingling sensations, or it might be like a tickle. And it's literal observation of that sensation without holding attachment to it. So as in without wishing it would go away or wishing that it would stay, but just observing it as it is. So for example, you sit for 10 to 12 hours a day, right? You're going to feel some physical pain. And me specifically always in my hips. And so in that moment, it's, it's just about observing that pain as it is, right? Oh, okay. So that's a lot of deep pain that I'm feeling. That's just there. It just is. It might come and it might go, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, wish it would go away. Now, Monique's first Vipassana meditation course was like, I need this pain to go away now. I can't handle it. It needs to go. It needs to go. And then you get a moment of pain-free throughout your whole body and tingling sensations. And you're like, oh, stay here. Please stay here. This is so good. Please stay. And and you just know at that point that you've, you've just unbalanced your mind because there's an attachment to something, um, a sensation that you feel within your body. Um, and it's truly amazing when you're there and everything is removed from you and you are just with your physical body and you, no one else, you can't mm. talk, you can't look people in the eye because that's an exchange of energy. You're just with you and your own energy and the amount that you learn about yourself and, and what is actually going on in our bodies in terms of the fact that we hear that you know, out there in the world, there's energy, you know, we're all vibrating, we're vibrational energy. Hmm. And when you partake in this course, you literally feel that you actually become so quiet that you can feel that there is vibrations throughout your body. Um, and it's pretty amazing. It is super challenging. Every time that I go, it's challenging. Hmm. It absolutely is, but it is the most rewarding thing and the best thing that I have ever done for myself and for the people around me because I think I'm a better person for doing it. Mm. Um, and, and so what's interesting about that is the thread because interceptive awareness in intuitive eating is literally the physical sensations of your body. And so it's funny because, again, Evelyn speaks about this a lot, that... Um, Generally, meditators have a lot more interceptive awareness and then ability to perform intuitive eating. Um, so, and even in the journey of intuitive eating, there's a lot of meditation practices that people do. So, 
I mean, I haven't even listed what the 10 principles are. I actually have them here because yeah, I go cool. so out of order with them. But um, principle one is rejecting the diet mentality. Principle two is honoring your hunger. Principle three is making peace with food. Principle four is challenging the food police. Principle five is discover the satisfaction factor. Principle six is feel your fullness. Principle seven is cope with your emotions with kindness. Principle eight is respect your body. Principle nine is movement to feel the difference. And principle 10 is honor your health with gentle nutrition. And so in so much exploration of these principles, you actually have access to guided meditations. So in terms of honoring your hunger, if you're someone that's never been asked the question or you don't know how you feel hunger because you've just eaten by the clock or whatever it might be, then feeling hunger can be really hard and there's meditation practices which allow you to just get into a space and go through a body scan and figure out and you just go through that every now and then um, to learn about your body and where you actually hold the, any physical sensations as well. So um, obviously you don't have to be a meditator mm. to do intuitive eating, but there are some meditation guided practices in the journey of intuitive eating as well. So I think that it's, yeah, it's just that thread where it's just helped other avenues. I've just I've just come up with another question mm-hmm. then. Like, is it? And I don't know how to word this properly. Mm. Like, um, so I rarely feel hunger mm. because I. Does that mean I'm more intuitive with what I know I'm going to feel if I don't eat? So I, I per, like I know I'm going to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks throughout the day. Mm. One because I'm educated in the terms of yeah, food yeah. and dietetics and nutrition. Yeah. But because I know my body well enough to know that, like, Monique's coming in an hour, I'm going to have some food now because we're going to talk for two hours and not going to be able to eat. Yeah. Is that... Um, well, there you go, Nate. Is That's, that being... That could be very well-fledged that you're an intuitive eater. You're yeah. in tune with what your body needs. Yeah. And then on top of that, it would be, you know, that, that, that you eat without guilt as well mm. and all yeah. of those other sorts of different avenues and that the intentions behind what you're doing, which it sounds like it is, is from a really great place. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. But then, for example, last night, mm. like, me and Abby had hot chips yeah. like, and, and salad, and I was, per- per- like, I'm not a big fan of, like, eating the most unhealthiest food that yeah. are out there, like, yeah. in terms of what that's, obviously, their food's food, yeah. but there are, in terms of when we're looking at nutrition, yeah. healthier foods than others, yeah. without more calling nutrient, them un- More yeah, nutrient-dense dense, foods yeah, yeah, than yeah. other than Foods. other choices, yeah, choices. So I was yeah. like, well, let's, I would like to have some salad as well. Yeah. Not to offset it, but I know that I'm going to be more hungry than yeah. just having hot chips. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's intuitive. Yeah. And then the, on the other side of that would be is, um, are you able to have those nutrient less nutrient-dense foods without feeling guilt or like you need to go and do something to compensate? So, so not, as, not as strong as I would like to because yeah. still, like obviously involved in sports nutrition, yeah, it's probably not the greatest thing to fuel your workout, things like that, yeah. um, in that space. And it's obviously super different to yeah. intuitive eating. Not d- different, but, like, different purpose of intuitive eating yeah, totally. in terms of sports nutrition, in terms of... Yeah. I would say yeah, so. Yeah, like, yeah, obviously, yeah. it's the same principle, the ten, same ten Absolutely. rules, but it applies to athletes, applies to general population, applies to elderly. Like Absolutely, absolutely. And I think then, as well, looking into that too, is that... Going in and doing sports, you know, I'm a quite an active human mm. being, you know, powerlifting, all of those sorts of different things that um, intuitive eating is still just having an awareness that you're about to go into a workout and you're actually going to need some food to fuel your body. Yeah. 
um, to allow it to perform the mm. way that you want it to perform. Yeah. So they're not actually too much in terms of indifference. Yeah. It's just that if, say, there's somebody who's an athlete that is potentially experiencing some disordered eating going yeah. on, then maybe it's about actually stepping back and observing that relationship that's going on here. What's the intention? Like, what's actually going on how here? How they talk about food, yeah. how they yeah, eat yeah, their yeah. food, they yeah. do by themselves or with other people. Yeah. Like, yeah. But absolutely, if you're going yeah. in to do a workout, mm. when I go in to do workouts, you know, you, you're wanting to you're wanting to fuel your body mm. to get through the workout that you would yeah. like to do, mm. um, that you want to participate in. So that in itself is is making a choice based on a variety of factors as well. Um, and then not beating yourself up if yeah. if if um, I don't know, the workout didn't go as planned and you're thinking yeah, it is because of food, oh okay, well that's just happened. Mm. What can I do tomorrow? No biggie. Yeah. Like I've had a busy day or or whatever that, that that might actually be. Like I find a very hard process, like in terms of like obviously the terms of like body composition and in terms of like yeah. performance for specifically like I'm no bodybuilder but I yeah. participate in that type of training. Yeah. Like people focus around the protein content. And then yeah. like for me to have a meal last night, like hot chips and salad, like people would look at that and be like bro where's your protein like and I am become a lot more comfortable with understanding that I don't necessarily need it at every meal at yeah. every single time every yeah. like oh, people do for particular goals but for me I'm like I was okay just to have that and I was yeah. quite hungry yeah. like yeah. sorry I was quite full <laughs> yeah and I, was, and I was like sweet you know I've had some f- food yeah depending on the nutrient density of that food doesn't matter I've had food with my girlfriend on the beach how nice yeah that's time yeah. to go to bed like, yeah and you um you know, that's you and your own autonomy yeah. in knowing yourself rather than somebody else telling you what you should or shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Um, and that I suppose that that would help because you are an educated human being as well. Yeah. Um, and so absolutely, that's your that's your autonomy coming through. Cool. It's cool to see examples, like to, to live it and like to even to have the listeners to be like, well, it's not just people who are struggling with who... Yeah who are practicing this or trying to get better at it, it's everyone can benefit from, yeah. like, intuitive eating. Like, oh, yeah. absolutely. It's yeah. it's a way of... It's a framework. So yeah, way it's, of thinking. It's just a way of... I honestly think it's a way of life. Yeah. Um, I just literally had a thought back to um, uh, the principle we were talking about, about making peace with food. Yeah. Um, and so... I always recommend doing this with somebody that, that can guide you because... Another thing, I don't know what made me think of this. I think it was yeah. when you said you were too hungry or something. But when you start challenging foods that you're having or that you that you haven't previously had or that provide some fear or whatever it might be, it's important to go into those experiences not too hungry. So a big part of that um, is, let's say you're going to challenge the Oreos or whatever, mm. whatever the fearful food might be and you're going to allow yourself to have it, to not go into that experience too hungry. So... You know, you're not going to go and do that after a huge day of work and you haven't eaten for five hours because mm. you're going to eat the whole packet. You're going to eat 20 million packets, yeah. right? You're not going to be my... I mean, not saying that that would be a bad thing. It's mm. still a learning experience, right? But when you're actively challenging this food, um, generally it's around a Don't time... Don't go to a buffet, yeah. Well, well <laughs> no, it's more... Um, no, absolutely. Go yeah. or buffet if you yeah. if, if that's what you feel like at the time, but don't have it when you're too hungry. So generally, a little bit after you've ha- actually had a meal, because mm. then you can actually sit with the food and be mindful with that experience. Whereas, if if I'm reached primal hunger, mm. it's no longer about the way that that food tastes. Yeah, it's literally about 
I need to get food in me. And when you're challenging a food, things can start to become complicated if that's happening. Um, whereas if you just, if it's, when you're not too hungry, maybe after you've just had a meal, you can sit down with it as opposed yeah. to challenging a certain food or whatever it might be after literally not eating for six hours, your primal hunger is going to be switched on. I just wanted to touch no, on that. No, that's cool. I like, thanks for yeah. touching on it. And, and I don't know what made me think of it, but I was like, oh yeah, that's important. I don't want people to start just suddenly like, eating going and like, oh damn, Monique, what is she talking about? <laughs> this, this is the last formal, that's, that's funny. <laughs> this is the last. Feel for- free to message me yeah, if anyone does up, this, because I will be happy to have a conversation. Hit up Monique for yep, sure. For sure. And we'll put that in at the end. But <laughs> this is the last formal question. Okay. Um, or maybe one of the last. I know this is a bit of a heart <laughs> heart ripper, but tell me about Cooper. Oh my god, I love my dog. Yeah. I love Cooper. I love my dog so much. I love that this is a question. Um, I just he's so my dog Cooper is a golden retriever. Um, I'm not currently wearing the earrings I usually wear every day, mm. but I have a pair of earrings that has his face on it. So, <laughs> marketing. There's a company called Panda and Pup yeah. in Townsville who makes like your pet's earrings. So you send in a photo of your dog or your cat or whatever it might be and they turn them into earrings. They are my favourite piece of items. And anyway, he's a golden retriever and he's 12 years old and he's just the best thing ever. He can bring me from zero to 100 in a matter of seconds. Yeah. That's <laughs> I love awesome. my dog. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. They have that relationship. Like I, like, I have a dog, but it's at my dad's house and I'm really oh, there. Oh, sad. And it's like, I... <laughs> I don't, and like Abby's dog unfortunately passed away last year and she's really close with her dog, like, and I'm slowly starting to like realise it's it's a good like relationship to have like with an animal, you know, it's it's really cool and I would like to have an animal in the future, like a pet, but it's just like, who's going to be there, like you said, every day, not just, you know, when you see them on and off. What kind of pet do you want? Um, Do you I, want a dog? I don't know. Abby's got had a dog and cat, and yeah. we still she still has a cat, and I really like it. But yeah. cats are rare to be good, I think. Well, like, I never used to like cats, and then Jake has a family cat, and mm. I love his cat. So yeah. now I, I used to be like hardcore dog person. Yeah. But now I'm like I just love them all. Yeah. Like I would love to have all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> I really admire your enthusiasm, energy, and laughter. And especially in the terms of the work that you do, is it hard to transform or change from being, you know, Monique to intuitive eating Monique? Yeah. They're the same person, I believe, mm. it, and, like, you're trying to push the same messages in both places, but when you're with a client compared to when yeah, you're yeah, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. with Jake or someone. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, I think that definitely my personality comes through in the way that you practice. I think that just naturally, that's a part of what makes you who you are. And that definitely comes, that definitely comes through. Um, And I suppose in terms of switching, that's a really hard question, Nathan. Mm. Switching to professional mode, I suppose really it's, um, it's just more about that I, I am who I am and that definitely shines through in the practitioner that I am. And then there's just a duty of care attached mm. as being a professional. Um, and, you know, um, I don't know. I feel like very much so who I am does come through. Yeah. And, you know, I am just that kind of person in my unique everyday life who sets 
spaces for people to be vulnerable and talk and have those conversations just normally and set boundaries or expectations or whatever those sorts of things might be and then and then that comes through as well in in the way that I suppose I practice in the yeah. clinic as well um, I suppose there's just that el- there's an element of course of professionalism and a duty of care yeah definitely there's yeah. somebody is there to be in your care and but you, you're still yourself yeah. you're still yourself yeah you don't go from A to Z you yeah know I mean? like you just yeah. go from A to B and I suppose like in terms of thinking of it in difference mm-hmm. between Jake and being with a client is I have a very um, I don't know if you've ever done motivational interviewing so I did Tara McGregor's motivational oh, interviewing yeah. course yeah. last year which was awesome so good highly recommend for anyone that is in any form of patient interaction that um i suppose the difference between this and how i would talk to my family is i'm very big on asking permission from clients to actually um provide my uh, education or thought to yeah. them um whereas you know shake i just tell him what i think or whatever yeah. that, that might yeah. be yeah. um whereas i'm really big on the, the person sitting in front of me contrary to popular belief they're actually the expert yeah you coming to see me you're actually the expert of your body mm. and we'll go where you want to go and hey do i have permission can i can i let you in on you know if there's a thought there that someone said and i've picked up on it hey can i actually let you know what my thoughts are on that mm. so I think that's a big way that I like to communicate as a health professional versus, I suppose, as Monique out there with her friends and... Having a beer. Oh, that sort of thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the biggest advice you give someone in terms of, like, my advice would be go see a dietitian, but <laughs> in terms of intuitive eating? Oh, oh the, sorry, the, well, sorry, in terms of their relationship with food, what could be the best advice you could give them? Yeah, okay, so as in right now, like, if someone's just... Obviously, it would be um, if you're wanting to work on your relationship with food, yeah. then it, it, it is a big dive depending on, again, your history. And it's actually a really big journey. And often, how deep-rooted that it might be, it can be incredibly beneficial to get support on that journey and to get guidance on that journey so mm. you don't become confused and caught up in a lot of the misunderstandings that are out there. Um but in terms of your relationship with food, that if it was just to be a passing comment from somebody who's saying, oh my gosh, I have just had cake and I feel so guilty about that or something, it would be truly there is no foods that are good or bad. Mm. You know, challenge that. Where has where that come from? Look, look towards your relationship with food growing up. Just right now, reflect on that as you are sitting here listening to this. What was your relationship like with food growing up? What were your parents like in your household? What were your siblings like? What was the talk like? And you can get a greater understanding of where you are and how you are the way that you are and, and then start to challenge those beliefs. Um, food is not good or bad. It, it's not moralistic. It just is. Um, and having some of those just back up, I suppose, um, thoughts back and just building awareness around your thought process. I realized that this was meant to be one piece of advice and it's like 20 now, (laughs) but just, I, I always, I really do think that awareness is key when you become aware of actually what's happening around you, what the talk is of people around you and diet culture and immersed Mm. in this, this cycle of weight and health and nutrition and all of the different things that are out there. When you just kind of build up some awareness to that, um, and then decide where you want to, I suppose, sit. I agree with that. Like awareness is, and I put something on Instagram the other day from a a company. that's like, it was a 
athlete and said, you know, self awareness is the greatest tool to becoming a champion. It so like, is. Like if you know what it's so is good is. for you and what is bad for you, and you're aware of that, you can you have you just have control. Like you just have control over your self awareness is everything. Like, and I always say that the greatest relationship that you're ever going to have in your whole life is the one that you have with yourself, and you can't have that without some self awareness and. Mm. And really, spaces that are safe for you to openly explore that too. Um, so yeah. Last question. Yeah. What's an ideal day for me? <gasps> oh my god, this is so fun! An ideal day. So, and I always say this example. Oh. If you haven't listened, the first episode was my, with my friend Aaron. Yeah. And he was in. He was snowboarding in the day and then surfing in the evening and then this with is friends so at night type thing. <sighs> okay. Wow, this is a loaded question. Yeah. The ideal day for Monique. Okay. It would absolutely have to be waking up in the morning without an alarm, for one. Yeah. And nothing is on my to-do list except anything and everything that I want to do. Um, probably oh, having... Um, oh, what would I want for breakfast? Mm. Um, oh, like... Just some sort of home-cooked brekkie with salmon and bread and hash browns and some broccolini because I'm obsessed with broccolini. Um, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and like an eggs benny. Mm. And then going to the beach with Cooper and Jake. Yeah. And maybe we have our surfboard, so we'll go for a surf. I'm currently learning to surf. Cool. Fun fact. Yeah. Um, haven't stood up, but I'm <laughs> trying. Yeah, learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, learning. Um... And then just chilling at the beach. Like I love, I love the ocean. I absolutely love the ocean. So it good. is my just. I could spend. I could literally just spend the whole day there. Mm. Um, and then just coming home after a nice day, and then a barbecue with friends and family, and a chilled afternoon. Um, yeah. Wow, I'm so simple. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a lot of people realise that. I think when they answer that question, they're like, the last person on Jake, it was like, well, I've actually just had the most ideal day the other day at Christmas Day. I was with my friends in the morning, and then I went to the gym in the middle of the day, had a big yeah. family lunch, and we all just hung out at the beach. Yeah. And like, there's no, like, just think about it. No one said work. No one said, no. Um, you know, like, being in traffic. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> like, no one said waking up with an alarm. Like, yeah. the things that we do every day, and it's like, why don't we just stick to those things that we actually yeah. Without without being like it's not unachievable yeah, either, and it's, not, and it's not like we're being Coin selfish. I learned yeah. something recently. Like being selfish is not about. It's only selfish if it's at the detriment of someone else. Like it's, yeah, 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 yeah. And so yeah. like none of those I things that, that you said have been detriment to anyone else. No. It's like they're just doing them, and people kind of get confused because it's what they want to do. It's like I want to do this, but it's selfish. It's, well, no, you just want to do it. Yeah, like, and that's again being I love that and jumping into like your own experience. So totally. So, yeah. Where can the listeners find you, Monique? So, my Instagram is at the underscore intuitive underscore dietitian. Um, So, you can find me on Instagram. And then my website is www.theintuitivedietitian.com.au. Um, dietitian and intuitive are both really hard words to spell. Yes, they are, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> intuitive is I-N-T-U-I-T-I-V-E, and dietitian, which has been 
driving us nuts because everybody gets it wrong mm. is D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. Um, so that's the spelling. So yeah, Instagram, probably um, fastest response time. <laughs> and just yeah. that's where I do most of my content. Um, and then my website, and I have a blog on there as well where I am able to write everything because I love to write. Also love to talk, which is obvious. Um, whereas Instagram, I just tone it down a little bit <laughs> so it's not too much of a bombardment. So, yeah, you can find me there. Um, or it's tweet in- heads. Instagram won't allow you. Hey, it's no, like, oh, they, you they to, cut you, you off. You need to turn this into an IGTV they, to do this. I so. know. <laughs> they cut you off after a minute of video. Yeah. Crazy. And you can only write so much. So that's the story of my life. But Thanks so much for coming on this Thank afternoon. you, Nate. It's been so fun. It's a good day. It's fine. It's, it's a good process. So no, no problems. Thank you. To finish off, as always, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it as this is a passion of mine. Don't forget to leave a review. It helps other people find the show. And please share this episode on your social media or tell a friend to continue spreading the message of cooking goals. You can sign up to our weekly email by clicking the link in the description of this episode and follow our Instagram at The Cooks Community. But until next time, remember to breathe.